Morning, everybody. Good to see you again. You look so much younger than you did two weeks ago when we were here last. Just kidding. You're actually two weeks older, in case you didn't do the math right. Now, thank you to Brother Danny. We put him to work last month. He preached twice for me and uh, once for Pastor Scott. And so he said, we're going to have to give him 50% more salary. And so... I guess we all understand we have to start with a salary first, right? <laughs> but the Lord is taking care of that. So anyway, it's good to see you. Good to be here today. Well, here we go, the second Sunday where we're all back together. It's amazing. Two years later, almost, uh, well, not to the day. I guess we started our second service back in May, two years ago. Uh, but this is our second Sunday back together as one family. So it's good to see you all together. I hope it hadn't been too much of a heartache and a headache to get here a little later. Some of you early birds like the early service. And um, I don't have anybody now to uh, do my first run on with my sermon. So uh, you're all going to just have to take it as it comes. But anyway, um, if we could just turn that down just a touch, a little bit of a ringing going on right there. I appreciate that. I think we had a little bit of a problem with our online. Are we back online with people now? We're good? Okay. Welcome to those of you who are uh, watching online, uh, we're glad glad to have you with us. Um, obviously, heavy on our hearts this morning certainly is our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, and also our Russian brothers and sisters. Um, I've been talking to some people about that particular part, and uh, some people you may feel this yourself. I don't know. Uh, would say, how can you pray for people in Russia? Well. There's a church in Russia, a Russia that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as much as the Ukrainian people do and the people around the world. And so our hearts are heavy this morning. I hope yours is. Uh, it should be at times like this uh, where we see the devastation that's occurring right in front of us. Uh, Biagio mentioned a collection. Uh, if you got my email this week, I want to do that at the end of the service as God leads you. Uh, and I'll give you some information here in just a second, but let me just preface some of those thoughts, which are anytime we ask of a special offering, we would say, please don't give out of your normal giving as we want the ministry to continue to go on. But I'm going to leave that up to you uh, because here's the deal. People are dying. That's reality. Innocent people are being murdered um, by an aggressor. And so the time for playing church playing life is not now. It's a very serious time in our world's history. Um, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but sometimes we need to be shocked into reality. And I think the Lord is getting our attention as churches. Um, I've been in contact with uh, some friends of mine who have very direct con uh, connections with people over there uh, in my email. Yeah, again, if you got this, you know that there is a pastor. I know him personally. I've been in his church. We've worshipped with them numerous times while we've been in Romania. And uh, his name is Pastor Christy. Uh, he's actually married to another friend of a friend who uh, many, many years ago. But uh, they are doing a, just a bang-up job right now. They are, uh, in fact, I'll show you the maps here in just a second. I want to give you kind of a visual of what's going on over there as far as the church is concerned. Pastor Christy pastors Hope Church there in Aradia, Romania, which is just a little southwest of the border of the Ukraine. Uh, and they are working feverishly to get refugees housing in Romania, at least as they can do it. Uh, in fact, I just was told this morning uh, that that church alone has already sent three chartered buses 
uh, to the border and has picked up refugees and has brought them back to the church, but are also distributing the families among other church family members, if you can imagine. Just imagine that's us this morning. Uh, they have sent uh, a bus of supplies up there, and even as we were talking with my friend this morning, uh, it is told, it's not verified yet, but there is a group of men that is preparing to go by bus to the Ukrainian border to get at least 250 orphans to bring them back to Romania. And so um, uh, this is a very real situation. I think for me, uh, personal, because I've been in that part of the country many times, uh, I, many of you have been in those parts of the country, uh, you know that people are gracious and kind. Uh, we have had wonderful trips there and, and worshiped with these people. And, uh, and so it's just a huge atrocity that's occurring. And so we want to be a part of it. And the best way we can be a part of it is not necessarily go, although some are volunteering. If you've been watching the news, you know that. Uh, many people are, are taking up their stand to go and, and do something physically about it. But we can certainly provide whatever we can provide materially. And so that's why I'm asking you to, to take up a collection this afternoon. And, and what will happen with that is now all you'll do is just either give cash or you can write a check and make that out to Laurel Hill Baptist Church. Everything will go to the church here, and then we will write one check to Foundation for Hope, which is the ministry that we've gone to Romania with many years over there in Bedford, Virginia. Uh, that's who I was talking to this morning is the team leader, the man who actually started that. He and his wife started the ministry. And then they will, through Foundation for Hope, will send the money to Pastor Christie to help him uh, deal with all the things that they're trying to deal with. Uh, and now, he also told me this morning, uh, Brother Lewis Thomas, that's his name, he's the one that started Foundation for Hope. He said that if you, in the days ahead, if you go to foundationforhoperomania.org, foundationforhoperomania.org, you can see pictures and they're going to have a, a link put there where you can make other donations if you want. Okay, now, as Biagio also said, Neil Donaldson works for, I think, I think it's Siemens Corporation or a division of that, and they are taking up a collection as well. Um, not sure anything about that other than that little bit of information. They're planning on giving 100%. Um, I just know of this one personally, and that's dear to me, and I can speak for it. Uh, Foundation for Hope will be giving 100% of the money that come in comes in. Uh, they're taking care of all the wire transfer fees out of the, uh, the ministry, so none of your money will go to that. Uh, and so uh, I just think it would be good for us to be able to do something like that if the Lord lays it on your heart. Okay, You always pay attention to what God is telling you to do. Uh, I'm just a voice, but you listen to what the Lord is saying. Okay, um, Let me show you a couple things here. I don't have my marker, here, I mean my highlighter here or laser thing, but hopefully you can see this. Uh, you see Poland and Romania at the bottom. Belarus is up in the, up in the north there. Um, you know where Kiev is. I actually used to work with a guy, an engineer, that was from Kiev back when it was still a part of Russia. Um, Moldova is right there in the middle, just up from the Ukrainian border there, or down from the Ukrainian border. I have been right to Bodoshan. Uh, sorry, can somebody bring me the laser printer, right? uh, laser um, thingy? What do you call that thingy? Pointer, Pointer thank you. <laughs> Yeah, the laser thingy. You can't reach it. It's technical. <laughs> you know, I can't reach it. The laser, thanks, Ham. The laser thingy. Thanks, brother. 
So again, some of you have been to these places, but Bodachon is right in this area here. In fact, can you go to the next slide? There might be a picture of that. Uh, yeah, Bodachon is right here. You can see the Ukraine is right here. Moldova's right there. Um, you remember um, uh, our brother who comes every year? Um, I'm drawing a blank. Ham, what's happening today? Mihai, thank you. We're both. I'm. I'm not sure what this is saying to everybody. We, we need some vitamins or something. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, Brother Mihai and Dana, who have the orphanage there, live in Satumare, which is literally right there on the Ukrainian border. Okay, he's been here with us many times. No doubt they're feeling the sting. I've not had communication with, with Brother Mihai. Aradia is where we have always gone as our home base. In Romania, we fly into Hungary, drive across to Aradia, and then uh, go to the various villages around there. So just to give you an idea of the location of all that's happening. And so Brother Christie has a church here in Aradia and is making the journey up here to the border. So that's, that's how all that's working right now. Can you go to the next slide? Just another visual. Uh, Lithuania. Um, I had this on here because I just wanted to show you what was going on there. And the reason I'm showing you this is because I had the privilege of going to Kaunas back in 1995 on my first trip over there to do kind of a fact-finding mission with another ministry. In fact, it was with Foundation for Hope before it was actually established. And I went to, we as a team went to Kaunas because it was one of the locations where the Nazis established a um, prison concentration camp. And there were told, it was told that there were no uh, women and children that were there and I have a point to this, that um, that was just a lie. Uh, While there we found, as they had unearthed from the mass graves, um, children's glasses and little shoes and things like this. And my friend and I, Brother Lewis, and I were talking about that trip just the other day in Connus, and he said, you know, Bruce, the reality of life for people is this. Many of the people who lived in that part of the world in that time knew nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they literally lived a hell on earth. They were captured by the Nazis during World War II, and they experienced hell on earth. And then they went on out into the darkness of eternity, literally into eternal hell. I'm saying all that because I'm not for shock factor, but I'm just wanting you to hear my heart this morning, partly, and that is that the people that are fleeing from Ukraine, the people that are being the aggressors in the Ukraine, are people who are living a life of spiritual darkness in many cases. And it's now a great opportunity for the church across the world to do all we can do to give the light of the gospel. And we can do that through means of prayer, which we're going to do in just a minute, and also by giving the blessings that God has given to, to us. I was just talking again to Lewis this morning, and he said to me, we've known each other for many, many years, 30-plus years, and I, he said to me, Bruce, I'm just, I'm struggling to even buy anything for myself right now. I'm struggling to do anything for myself because of our brothers and sisters over there who are, who are in just such harm's way. And um, I said, I know, brother, I'm right there with you. Uh, the good news is, as we just sang a few minutes ago, um, God has us where he wants us, right? He has given us this blessing to be here in this land, in this nation. Uh, But for us, as his word says, 
and anybody across the world who's been blessed by God to whom much is given, much is required. And so we just want to take this time very seriously. Obviously, this is going to go on for who knows how long. We pray it will not spread any further. Um, that's, I hope, your prayer. Um, I don't know if you heard the, uh, the Ukrainian president just uh, today or yesterday said, if he's not stopped, he's going to move on into Lithuania. He's going to move into Poland. And, and we understand these things. But I think there comes a time, beloved, where we have to get out of our security. We have to get out of just who we are in our culture and remember that there's so much of a bigger picture that we're commanded to be a part of. And specifically, our warfare is with our prayers, right? And so what I like to do here is just to uh, have, uh, is Pastor Hamp still in here? Hamp, as one of our elders, and Danny, if you would come as well. Scott's downstairs. Uh, any of our deacons here? Um, yeah, Craig. And um, Biagio's still in here. Why don't you three men come? And uh, here's Biagio. You guys, four guys, come up here. And would you just, let's just take a time of prayer, can we? For, for all of this, and as the Lord leads you, I know uh, this will be a little different from what we normally do, um, and we'll just let the Lord lead us in this as uh, the leaders of the church here, spiritual leaders of the church, uh, lead you and those of you online in a, in a time of prayer. If you just come up to the mic so the folks online can hear, we appreciate that very much, and then uh, we'll move on. ask that your hand would be in all of this. We know that you allow things to happen for a reason. Lord, just open our eyes to what that is. But in all of these things, we will give you praise. In Jesus' name. Father, I uh, <clears throat> just lift up the people of Ukraine and, and those that we've talked about, Lord, those associated ministries that are reaching out to orphans and refugees and uh, those that are fleeing uh, Ukraine, Lord, and uh, I just pray, Lord, that uh, your people would be in prayer, Lord, uh, humbly and, and uh, out of, uh, Lord, just knowing, uh, God, that you are, Lord, you're bigger than any problem, anything that, that comes upon us, and in your hand, Lord, you're in control. You know all these situations. But, Lord, I just pray that we would uh, come to you expectantly and in faith, Lord, that we would reach out uh, reach out to you, Lord, that we would seek you in, in humility and, and uh, repentance, Lord, that uh, we would just come before you seeking your face on behalf of these people. 
And uh, Lord, we thank you for your love for them. I just pray, Lord, that uh, those that are that have the ability uh, would minister to these folks. You would reach out, Lord, with the message of Jesus Christ of eternal life and His death and His mercy and grace toward uh, toward people, Lord. And we just thank you for that love for us. God, I lift up again those people to you. I just pray uh, your hand upon them. Uh, just continue to give those that minister to these folks the ministries. Just give them energy and, and the heart to reach out and, and love for people, for these refugees, that they could, uh, could minister to them. I lift these things up to you now, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to your throne room and we we praise you and thank you for who you are, that you you have a, a purpose in all of this that we do not understand. I first want to lift up those who are in Ukraine, in the cities and the villages who can't walk away, whether by health or, or for other reasons, are not walking away. And Lord, I pray for the pray for the Russian soldiers that in some respects are, are not doing what uh, what Putin has called them to do and they uh, break away where they can Lord we know that um, there's a lot of reasons for that but most upward utmost it's your your will because this could be much worse if it wasn't for you we praise you for um the testimony in that and, and where people can serve you. And then finally, I, I do pray for the Russian people still in in, in that country who, um, who are not uh, that if they were to speak out against this war and this massacre and call it just that instead of a, an exercise or what Putin wants, that these people be arrested. We know that in this day and age is, is even much different than it was um, just eight years ago with Crimea and, and all the other things that have happened there um, with communication. But it's not really the communication of electronics. It's the communication of you using men and women, Christians, to, to s serve you by going. But those of us that are here, so separate from the battle it can be prayer warriors and we ask that you lead guide and direct us to be to be just that we carefully give you the praise and the glory even through this conflict through this war and father thank you for the blessing and the privilege that we are able to gather here freely in this country if ever there was a time that our faith was stretched. It's to see that your hand is in all of this. And Father, I just ask for your divine supernatural protection over your church worldwide. Even besides this area, there are people throughout the world who are persecuted on a daily basis. And we have the freedom to gather. Lord, I just ask again for your protection for the peoples involved in this and that your spirit would touch the hearts of those involved and bring them to 
to your loving knowledge, saving grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, brothers. Appreciate that. Yeah, so let's let our hearts be in constant prayer over these things. And again, I know that you have, just because I know you. And I pray that you'll keep lifting these, these folks up as the days go by. Okay? All right. Well, let's move into our subject for today. We're in Matthew chapter 12. And so if you want to find your place there. Again, thank you, Brother Danny, for filling in last week. Boy, it's such, so good to see so many folks here this morning. What a blessing this is. I should have you all come up here and look from this angle. It's just really cool. Yeah, that's right. There wouldn't be anybody back there. That's right. <laughs> all right, let me start off by asking a question, and that is, have you ever been around somebody or experienced somebody who's pretty demanding? And all God's people said, hmm. amen, all right? <laughs> they may be sitting right beside you, for all we know, right, as far as you're concerned. Well, you know, people who are demanding can be pretty difficult. Uh, demanding people have this way of just making everybody else know that they're in the room. Right? And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, so I'm not calling anybody out here. I'm just thinking of how people can be demanding because it fits with the subject today. But let's just think about demanding people for a minute. Uh, they have a tendency, at least in my experience, to make you kind of feel a little less than life depending on how demanding they are. Uh, always telling you what you should be doing, how you should be doing it. And if you disagree, it's kind of like my way or the highway. You know the expression? So we've all experienced people like that. There's no doubt about it. These people, if they don't get their way, often will say, okay, fine, I'll just leave. Instead of working things out, and doing what they know is right intuitively, and that is to keep the relationships going or whatever it might be, and that's usually what this affects in the demands of the person's life, but instead they would rather go on and do their own thing and move on with life and never having anything to do with that particular group again. Well, the reality is many people who are Christians are just as demanding. There are a lot of people who are just like that in their demands. In fact, uh, just this last week, in fact, what we were doing, we, my wife and I, did last uh, Sunday as we went down to um, North Carolina to spend a few days with our son and daughter-in-law and the grandkids. That's always a blessing. And then we went to a marriage conference with some friends of ours. And one of the groups, <clears throat> one of the families there we hadn't seen for a lot of years. We've known them many, many years. Uh, he is in a small church just outside, uh, well, between uh, Lynchburg and Danville area. And he was telling us about how they were going through a, a building project, or did, some years ago. They built a family life center. And he started talking about these five families that ended up leaving the church over building that building. And, he, and I said, this is just kind of a random conversation. I don't even remember how it got started. And he says, yeah, the problem was they were kind of the backbone of the church for years, and everything that they said was the way it went. And so they just didn't agree with certain plans of the building, at least, and ended up leaving the church. In fact, before that, though, he said that they said, well, if you're going to move forward with this building project, we're just going to withhold all of our giving. And eventually they just left the church. And I thought about that, and I thought, this is exactly the way demanding people act who are living what they profess to be as Christian people, when that is so opposite of everything that God has called for his people to be. We're not to be like that. 
Some people, in fact, in extreme cases, will even speak evil against the pastor. Now, I know that that is extremely hard to believe, but it does happen at times. And I don't want to, again, I'm not doing shock factor here. I'm just letting you in on a little secret. There are times where people will even come against the pastor and other church members. But all that does is brings the name of Christ down, not only in the church, but in the community at large. Because, again, believe it or not, people do watch us as Christians. They're listening to us. They may not say they are. They may not acknowledge that they are. But intuitively and in their own ways, they still listen to us. If we name the name of Christ, they pay attention to us in their own ways. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one is because we are spiritual people. Even if we don't profess to be Christians, God has told us very clearly in his word that the spirit of God lives in us as believers. But there is the building in of the knowledge of even the unbeliever that there is a God. And so there is this innate ability to think about or sense this spiritual realm, even if the person doesn't accept who Christ is. Now, as quickly as I'm saying all that, I'm not saying that every person should stay at every church all the time. I'm not not saying that. There are some who would hold to that in the strictest of senses. But I am saying that we shouldn't leave a church just because our demands aren't being met or the specifics of what we want is not being met. If that's the case... And I'm just going to be honest and say there's a problem. And you can probably guess what the problem is. It's a hard problem, right? Which is what God is always concerned with, is making sure that our hearts are right. And it's a hard problem because that person or those people, whomever they might be, are not thinking about the work of God. What they're really thinking about is their own them, themselves, their own life, their own little kingdoms, I like to think of it. They're worried more about their own interests than they are really the church and at large the kingdom of God as in its totality. And so we want to steer away from that. And we should not be people like that. In fact, this is what Jesus is dealing with now in this particular section. We've been watching him do this over lots of time now as he's been come against by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, we'll see later the Sadducees, and he's already dealt with them some. Uh, But particularly in our account today, we're going to once again, and this is important that you understand the context, because Jesus is speaking specifically to a certain group of people here, right? So again, when you're interpreting scripture, make sure you're understanding what the real context is here, so that you don't misinterpret what God is saying, and don't take for in your own heart, something that you're not doing, but assume you might be doing, and yada, yada, yada kind of thing. And so I've titled this very simply, Be Cautious of Making Demands of God Because They May Also Prove Your Eternal Destination. Make sure that you're careful of the demands that you make of God because they may prove your eternal destination. So stand with me this morning, and and I'll be brief. We're going to get through this pretty quickly. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. Now some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. All right, please be seated. Let's take a look at what the Lord is saying here specifically. Well, to get started, I think it's important for us to remember that the Lord is continually pointing to the distinction between those people who belong to him and his kingdom and those who do not. Very clear is that throughout the Gospels. And if you haven't seen that, I hope you will, uh, because God wants us to know this. There is a certain aspect to his people, people who live both by actions and even their words, which is where we were last time. As you remember, the subject was be careful of your words because your words can also indicate the direction that you may be traveling for eternity. But man's heart's not just about words that he uses and even actions, but also by how he or she obeys the Lord. Very clear in Scripture. In fact, the Lord will say in this very chapter, in verse 35, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Very clear what the Lord is saying here. And basically to follow Christ for any other reason, out of the abundance of the heart, the goodness of the heart, is to be the same or live the same or do the same as to be in full denial of who Jesus really is. In other words, people can live with the right words, they can live with the right actions, and vice versa. They can live in a certain sense of obedience to certain things out of a head knowledge, but if, it, if the heart is not fully engaged to drive these aspects of the person's life, then it is really a denial of who Christ is in its totality. In chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said this, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Again, I just want you to see that Jesus is very clearly making the distinction of who his people are and who are the ones who are against him. Now, as you can see in their demand in verse 38, look at, with, look at that with me, Jesus where we're recorded here from Matthew says, some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, it's pretty obvious to those of us who've been studying this for a while, if you're new coming into this, you may not understand this, that this is not because they wanted some help from Jesus or be, to make sure that they could believe. It wasn't like they were inquisitive and in saying, oh, do a sign for us so that we'll believe and we want to follow you and that kind of thing. Our hearts are anxious and longing to follow after you. Well, again, we know that that's not the case by everything we've been through. This is a perfect case of a demanding person. This is a wrong heart here where they're wanting more to look like a hero and, have the one, and be the ones who have the real answers. That was their goal, the religious leaders here. When they're whole motive was to fulfill their own agenda. They wanted to stay on top. They wanted to be the leaders of Israel. They were given by right, but yet spiritually they wanted to take control over things even more and get rid of this one who was calling himself or at least appearing at this point to be the Messiah. I hope you already understand this by this point. It's really not a good plan to make demands of the Lord. Can we just kind of affirm that? Amen. You know, we might just want to say to our neighbors, hey, you know what? It's just not a good plan to make demands of God. That's a really critical point because, number one, if nothing else, he is God. 
right? He told Israel that numerous times over. Do this, don't do this. Why? Because I'm the Lord. Basically saying there's nobody else bigger than me. There's nobody else stronger than me. There is no other God, in fact. So that's number one. And that should be enough. But secondly, he's saying, you know, there are times where I do things that you don't understand. Some of you have been there. Some of you may know that already, even right now. I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. I don't understand what the purpose is. And you have lots of questions about that. Well, the Lord has been very clear about that in saying that his thoughts are not our thoughts. He is far above anything that we can understand or appreciate, which is why he demands that we trust him by faith. Faith is the mechanism that we are to use to live in this life so that we can get through the times that we don't understand. Take our situation in the world right now. The church's goal not only is to help provide the needs physically as we can for refugees and other people who are in troubles all across the world, not only in our own community, but we're also to be the voice of God by faith, saying, I don't know how all of this is going to turn out. I mean, I know we have government workers who are even in our midst that are doing their best to try to help solve this kind of problem. But none of us know fully well how this is all going to turn out. But what we do know is that God has a plan and that God is fully in control and God will settle matters in his own way. Now, is that because we have been there and seen the completion of it all as if we've been teleported to the end of time and come back? No. We believe by faith because the Lord has promised us certain things and he has proven to us that he is the God of God. And so we trust him by faith, and that's how we live and we operate. The point being simply that our human reasoning is no match for God's reasoning. And we're, we need to be careful that we don't get lost in our own thinking and trying to figure out what God is doing because we don't really know fully. We have a good idea, but we don't have the completion of everything that God is doing in the immediacy of the context of every situation of every day. In fact, our reasoning will usually get us into more trouble than it will help us or even leave us in a worse condition than we were before we started down that path. Some of you can attest to that. You've made decisions and done things that you look back on now and thought, boy, if I'd have just waited on the Lord a little bit, I probably would have not made a mess of things, right? Been there? Sure, we all have. That was the case with this guy called the rich young ruler. That's how the Bible refers to him. We're told of him in Luke 18 who thought he was doing all the right things and those things would get him into heaven. In fact, the record is, beginning in verse 18, I'll just read it for you. This guy questions Jesus and says, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In the back of his mind, he's thinking, if I just do enough good things and I be the kind of person that I need to be, then surely God will let me in. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. In other words, you're right in calling me God. That's who I am. And so Jesus lays out the commandments for him. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Those are all the Ten Commandments, or at least part of them. And he says to them, awesome, I've done all of these things from my youth. I have lived the perfect life. But Jesus hears this in verse 22, and he says, here's one thing that you have not done. And that is he pushes the button nearest and dearest to the young man's heart, his riches. Go sell everything that you have and come follow me. Now, Jesus did that, and I'm not going to take time to teach through all of this, but he did that because he knew that there are these things about us that keep us from following him. 
And in this guy's case, it was his possessions. So the Lord is saying to us through this particular section, our role is not to demand of him. It's not to somehow check a block and say, Lord, accept me if I do this. Accept me if I give this. Accept me if I think this way. Accept me if I yada, 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 yada. No, that's a demanding kind of a spirit. When our role is to just simply serve him and obey him, no matter what he asks us to do. And oftentimes that asking of him looks far different than what we would want to do necessarily. And we'll talk about some examples here in just a minute. If we don't do that, we will miss great blessings. That happened many times and has happened. We've got examples of that in scripture. Or worse, we prove we don't belong to him in the first place. And that's a tough say, but that's reality. If we don't live what we say we believe and outwardly manifest it, not because we're trying to enter our way into his good graces by what we do, but simply because we are in his good graces, we do the things that we do. Going on in that same passage with the rich young ruler, listen to what Jesus says after he turns and leaves in verse 24, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the people around him heard it and said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Now, I know that Jesus is talking about the salvation of a young man here, or the salvation of any soul, even apparently looks like they can't be saved but the reality is there is nothing that is too hard for the Lord and that's our hope isn't it we're not demanding of God we're asking God to do what we know he can do the prayers of our brothers just a moment ago wasn't a demanding of the Lord Lord you do this now or else that doesn't get very far right you'll kind of almost see God saying oh really how's that going to work for you No, our request is out of a humble heart that says, Lord, we see the atrocities against humankind and we know that you can do something about it. And so our trust is in you. It's a big difference. The Lord's simply implying to this young man who more than likely is not born again because he walks away. We don't know the story of how it ends. Perhaps we hope that he came to the Lord at some point, but at this point it seems that he certainly missed the kingdom. And that's a great tragedy. Think about other people like Joseph. You remember Joseph back in the Old Testament, Genesis 50? His brothers had been so evil and hateful to him. Eventually he was in Egypt, became the second ruler under Pharaoh. In his latter life, he knew that God had been working. He didn't know that necessarily up to that point. I'm sure God was revealing it or he wouldn't have been able to say what he did in chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And then there's Moses. You know, Moses was a guy who was just an average, ordinary guy after he left Egypt. He was somebody who was greatly used of God, even unbeknownst to him while he was in Egypt, but he gets kicked out of Egypt. You understand the story. You can see all of this in Exodus chapter 4 specifically. He sees the burning bush. God calls him up to the burning bush. He's curious. He gets up there and God says, hey, Moses, you're my man. I'm going to send you back to get my people out of bondage. And he says, uh, you sure about that? I don't know if that's a great plan. 
And so he gives him all these excuses as to why he can't do it. In fact, in verse 10, he says of chapter 4, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently or in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Basically, people have said he probably was a stutterer or something of that nature where his brain and his mouth didn't work in real conjunction with one another. That's just a human issue. And so Moses has given all kinds of excuses. But the Lord said to him, Moses, 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 Moses. That's my interpretation. You don't see it in the text. Who made your mouth? Can't you just kind of hear the Lord's voice like that? Moses, come on. Who made your mouth, Moses? You think I don't know this? You think this is a mystery to me? Who makes a man mute or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Don't I do all of that? So go, Moses. Stop giving me excuses. Do what I've called you to do. Moses, in his sinful, rebellious heart, says, Oh, Lord, please, send somebody else. It's too big. It's too much. Can you imagine with me just for a minute what life would have been like for the Hebrews if Moses had turned and duck tail and run the other direction? Would have turned out possibly quite different, wouldn't it? God would have accomplished his plan. But it would have been different, at least for Moses, for sure. Now, that's not to mention the rest of the people in the Bible, Abraham, Joshua, Gideon, David, the prophets like Daniel, Elijah, and Elisha, the disciples in the New Testament, Paul, Timothy, Titus, and on and on and on it goes. These people did amazing things because they trusted the Lord. They never made demands of him. We have an entire history book given to us of the people who trusted the Lord. One of the things that was, one of the writings that was most critical in my turning point as a young person when I was being introduced to the Lord was that little poem, Footprints in the Sand. Do you remember that? I just looked it up again the other day. I hadn't looked at it for a long time. But I remember as I was reading through the little poem, and it talks about the two sets of footprints, or actually the one set of footprints in the sand, I thought, boy, that's exactly how I'm feeling right now. Lord, where are you? If you're God, you know, what, what's the deal? And then he gets to the end of the poem, and he says, when you see only one set of footprints in the sand, that was when I was carrying you. If you haven't read that poem, or ever seen that before, I would encourage you to just look it up. It's called Footprints in the Sand. It is an amazing little testimony of the grace and the goodness of the Lord. My point in all of these characters, and myself included, and you too, is that none of us are here this morning because we've made demands of the Lord. We're here because God, by his own grace, has given to us the ability to see the truth and opened our heart to be able to say yes to him. And that's the way he wants it, and that's the way we should be. But again, the point being now in the context, the Pharisees and the scribes missed all that, so they were just left with demands. The first one here is in verse 38. Give us a sign. Again, not out of a right heart. That's not what they wanted. A sign is nothing more than just what it sounds like. You drive out here, you go out here on the road, you stop at the lights, and that's a sign, right? A stop sign. It's just a thing. It just sits there, morning, noon, and night, dark and light. It just, good weather, bad weather. It doesn't do anything. It just sits there and has the letters on it say stop in a certain shape. But you and I see it, and we know that that's pointing to something. It tells us something we need to watch out for. And so a sign is just like that. It's not the thing, but it points to the thing. So when the Bible speaks of a sign, it's usually speaking of some miracle. And so they were saying to Jesus, give us a miracle. Well, if 
they were honest, they would have been seeing many miracles and acknowledged that. They've already seen Jesus do countless things by this point, even raising people from the dead, which for me, I'd like to think that's be, that would be enough. How about you? Would that be enough? But that's not what they wanted. What they wanted was something bigger than that, if you can imagine, something spectacular, supernatural. Now, there's conjecture on all of this, but maybe they wanted something like what happened back in Joshua chapter 10 when Joshua prayed that God would hold the sun still and the day stood still for maybe an hour or so while David routed the enemy in battle. Or maybe one commentator said they thought that he would turn the moon to blood like the prophet Joel said. Hey, do something like that. You say you're the Messiah? Then do that. Or maybe they wanted heavenly angels to sing or something. Who knows what they really wanted? What they wanted, though, according to this, is something so big and so unique they couldn't deny it. It would just blow them off their feet. But according to verse 39, and that's, this is often the case, that wasn't the Lord's plan. Now, you and I may be saying something similar to that, Lord. We want you to do something big. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and you say, Lord, okay, now I... I don't know what to say right here, and, and I'm not sure how to handle this, but if you just do something really big right in front of them, man, they're going to believe, and they're going to fall on their face, and I'm never going to have to deal with this person again. And so it's kind of like you're the boys of thunder, right? The sons of thunder, the disciples, and call down lightning and fire from heaven and strike these people dead. But notice what the Lord says in verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. Again, remember the context. They weren't looking for Jesus to be who he really was. They were trying to condemn him. It's a big difference. Jesus is basically saying the only people who need a sign are people who don't believe. They're already the critics. And Israel at this point was the epitome of, of being a critic. And so Jesus says, no, not going to be another sign except for this one, and we'll get to that in just a minute. When a person really looks for God to do something more, Jesus is saying, that's from a heart of unbelief. Now, I hope you hear this point, because it's really critical to us, even in our day. When we look for God to do more than he's already done to prove himself, that's not coming from a heart of faith. That's coming from a heart of unbelief. And the reality is God may set that person aside instead of revealing truth to them when they come with the wrong motive and the wrong attitude. And we know that even from what God did with the, the Hebrew people as a nation. Paul made this clear in Romans 11. Israel was picking up in verse 20, broken off for their unbelief. I get it. Israel was God's chosen people, but God set them aside. Why? Right here, Paul tells us, because of their unbelief. But then he says to the church, but you stand by your faith. Here's the warning, though. Do not be conceited, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, speaking of Israel, he'll not spare you either. Behold, then, the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness. How about this? If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. You know what Paul's saying here? He's not talking about losing salvation. 
Once we're sealed, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's not the issue here. What he's talking about is the person who comes with the critical heart and wants more. That was Israel. And so he's saying to the Gentiles, look, God opened up a door of grace to you, but be careful that you don't come with the wrong kind of heart, a demanding heart. And you and I, beloved, know, and I hope you know this, that God has done more than enough to prove himself to us, has he not? I mean, what else does God really need to do? Well, some people have gone so far as to say, if you bring back somebody from the dead, I've actually had this conversation with people. You should try it sometime. A person who's really just wanting to rebel against what you're telling them in, in a spiritual sense. Ask them, what would God need to do for you right now to prove to you that he's God? And I've, I've actually had people respond by saying, I want to see somebody come back from the dead. Well, here's what the Lord says about that. And it comes from Luke 16. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had everything in this life, didn't need anything, but he didn't have the Lord, didn't live by faith. Lazarus was a poor beggar. Let's call him a refugee. Living on the streets and eating the crumbs off of the, uh, the, the rich people, basically. But he was content and happy. Why? Because he trusted the Lord, even though he was not doing well in life physically. And so they both die. Lazarus goes to heaven, we're told, and the rich man goes to hell. And there he is so tormented from the flames and from the torture that those people will experience. He says in verse 27, I beg you, Father, speaking to God, that you send him, that's Lazarus, to my father's house. In other words, Lazarus is in heaven by now, but he's saying to him, look, send Lazarus to my own family. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, speaking in God's name, that was just a reference in an Old Testament way to God the Father. They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? That even if God were to do something as amazing and as elaborate as raising someone from the dead, they will not believe. And beloved, for us, for you and me, God has done everything that we need to know for us to believe as a church. You just look back at the year and what we've had blessings with. This uh, Two weeks ago, we had our last concluding mess, um, quarterly meeting for our budget year. And it's just amazing what you have provided for the church to continue to move on in such a difficult time. And that's just the financial sense, not to mention all the other things that God has done by protecting us so much, even through the sicknesses of COVID and all the things that God has done in an amazing way. He just continually proves his faithfulness. But sadly, Many people still live their lives looking for more proof. Wondering whether God will provide or not. And there's such a temptation in that. In that kind of thinking. You can hear the enemy in the background just saying, Really? That's what you're going to do? You're not, not going to look for more and, and need more proof and need more proof and need more proof? And it's just that tempting spirit that causes our demands to grow. And, and God begins to be pushed out because man begins to think he can do it all on his own. I mean, you just look at our nation. 
our nation and how we've rejected the things of God when God has given to us so much evidence of his existence. But still the world will say, eh, I'm not going to believe that. So let's close this out real quickly here now. Jesus says, here's one sign that will be given to you, and that is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And very quickly in verse 40, he says, tells the story of Jonah. If you haven't listened or read the story of Jonah, I encourage you to go back, and you can find it in your, in your Bible in the Old Testament. Jonah was a prophet of God who hated this group of people called the Ninevites. They were a wicked, wicked, wicked people. In fact, in the day of Jonah, they were more wicked than anybody on the earth. Ruthless people. But God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach the message of repentance or I'm going to come and destroy their city. And so Jonah's like, I'm not going to do that. And so he runs from the Lord. He gets on a ship and God causes a big storm to come up and Jonah's like feeling the guilt of all this and it gets worse and worse and worse. And eventually he fesses up to the crew and says, the reason this is all happening is because of me. So throw me overboard, which they oblige him. Good. And as soon as they do, storm calms. Jonah's sinking down in the water. He thinks he's dead for sure, and God causes a big fish to come and swallow him. And for three days and three nights, he lives inside the belly of that fish. Now, some people have said, oh, that's just conjecture. That's just a story. It's just a parable. But Jesus is actually making it reality as he he is mentioning here the actual story. Side note. God is also the determiner of life and death. I would think that somebody living inside the belly of a fish after three days would probably die. I mean, that just seems to make sense to me, but not when God is in control, right? Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so the Lord says here, the only sign you're going to get is from what happened to Jonah, and that is as he went inside the belly of the fish three days and nights, I'm going to be dead three days and three nights which is exactly what happened. He died on a Friday, he rose on a Sunday. And so the last greatest sign, as he's talking to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, is my resurrection, my death and resurrection. The greatest sign of all times, and nothing will ever top that. But even that they wouldn't believe, and we know that because in Matthew 27, as we get to the end of the gospel, we hear this right when they're about to crucify him. It's the next day after the preparation. In fact, after he's already been dead, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. So even in the midst of that sign, that miraculous, amazing sign of death and resurrection by his own power, they still didn't believe. Now to further indict them, back to our context, Jesus in verse 41 says, the men of Nineveh, that's the people who repented at Jonah's message, these wicked, ungodly pagans, will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, let's don't be confused by what he's saying here. He's not saying that these Ninevites are necessarily going to be our judges or the judges of the Pharisees in the day of judgment at the great white throne judgment. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying is that as ungodly pagans, 
when they heard the message of destruction, they repented. And that was all they had. And because that was all they had and they repented of that, look at what you have, Pharisees. You literally have me standing in your presence, the Messiah, the God of all gods, and you're rejecting him. So on the day of your judgment, the Ninevites are going to be kind of in the background in my mind saying, whoa, you guys should have believed. And so in that sense, they're a figurative kind of judges. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He takes us to the queen of the south, this queen of Sheba, you find this in 1 Kings 10. We won't go into all of that. But the story is specifically that the queen of Sheba was a very wealthy woman, and she hears of Solomon, who was the wisest of the wise, David's son, King David's son. And she comes to see him for herself, and she agrees that he is certainly the wisest man and the most humble man she's ever met. And she acknowledges his God. Now, in the reading of the text here, as Jesus lays it out, it sounds like that she probably gave her life to the Lord. I don't think that there's any indication that that's necessarily true, which really becomes part of the point. Here's this woman, a pagan queen, who has no knowledge of God, hears about God, evidently enough to give her entourage the journey or get her entourage to take her to see Solomon, and she's convinced, just like that. And so the Lord uses that situation to say, take that woman, who again, we don't know for sure that she actually came to know God as a saving God and will be in heaven one day. I pray she will. But we don't know that. That's not the Lord's point. The Lord's point is, that's all the information she had. And she believed, or or in a sense, she acknowledged me as the true God. But here you guys are again, standing in my presence, denying me, seeking to kill me as the God of all gods. What do you think your judgment's going to be like? Out of your foolish and wicked demands. You see, I think what the Lord is really telling us here is that God knows our hearts. And what God wants is a repentant heart. And listen, here's our takeaway. Many, many people have sat Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday hearing sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, Bible studies and Sunday schools and brought up in the church to listen to the things of God, but never really believing in the God that they say that they're coming to worship. Which is why the Lord says in Luke 12, From everyone who's been given much, much will be required. Now, he's not talking about a physical sense like we're talking about with an offering today. He's talking about in the spiritual sense. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. In other words, Jesus is saying to his church, through this message to these ungodly leaders, I'm talking about the Pharisees, look, you leaders were the ones who were supposed to have this right. Now, the people who have not your knowledge but have come to saving faith are the ones that will be in my kingdom simply because they believed. And so to us, beloved, the message is simply God has given to you and me much in our way of responsibility spiritually. He has opened our hearts. 
We, we didn't live when Jesus was there. We didn't see all of these things. This is written for us in his word. But we weren't physically there, but yet we have a belief. And God says, hold on to that belief. Don't let it go. I think we should say something like this. You and I should be the front line people of living by faith. We have the completion of his word. Whereas in those days, they didn't. They had Jesus in their presence, that's true. Which is why the Lord will say, blessed are those who believe but haven't seen me. He's talking about us. So you and I should do all we can to live the life that he has said to live and serve him and follow him and care for people and, and, and let people know that there's an eternal destiny out there and whatever he asks of us in this life, but never demand of him. Because our demands indicate the kind of heart that we really have. Now, for those people that are just learning about Jesus, and there may be some of you here or listening online, the, the, the truth is, spend as much time as you can in his word. That's where you're going to find him in our day. So he can teach you about himself and so you can learn of him. His word was left for us so that we would have our faith grow and our faith would be established. We learn and grow from one another, but there's no growth that comes greater than being in the word of God regularly, daily, living out what the Lord has said. That's where our faith grows. That's why we can stand up in front of you this morning and say, folks, look, the message is to you, to our Ukrainian family, for brothers and sisters who are in great need over there, even the ones who are not believers, we can provide for them. Why? Because we're following Jesus. Well, how do we know we're following Jesus? Because he's opened our hearts and our eyes to see the truth. And so we live out of a sacrificial life for everything that he calls us to do. And right now is one of those times. But sadly, sometimes, even in times like this, even God's people will say, well, that's over there. It's not really affecting me. Okay. Sometimes, you know, we get to the end of all of this and our message to people is going to simply be this. I guess we'll find out, won't we? Right? You ever talk to a critic who really just doesn't want to hear Sometimes the, ma the last message to that critic needs to be, okay, we'll find out in the end, won't we? If you're right and I'm wrong, we're in no better shape than we were when we started. But if I'm right and you're wrong, that's not a good place to be, right? So, for those of us who say we know the master, but don't live for him and do what he commands us and we make demands of him in ways that prove our unbelief, we're in for a rude awakening. And we don't want that either. Which again is what the Pharisees represent here. Okay? So stay as far away from those guys as you can. All right. Well, let's pray together. And then we'll have our collection. Father, we thank you for the sobering message of your word constantly. Sobering in the sense of how we started the service this morning by singing praises to you. That's a very sobering message in itself. To think about how farther along in this life, one day in eternity, we'll be with you. That through this life, we can continue to endure even through the difficulties because our hope is not in this life, but our hope is in the life to come. And so there's great blessing in that. There's 
great joy in lifting up our voices and singing your praises because you've told us how the story ends. We don't know all the details of every day of our individual lives, but we do know in the totality of how it's going to end that those who have put their trust in you and repented of their sins will live eternally with you. We'll we'll, We'll live carefully by our words and our actions, our thoughts, and in strict obedience to you. Lord, we thank you for the sobering reality of what you teach us in your word that doesn't cause us to have warm fuzzies. It awakens our spirit to think, to process, to question, to question our own hearts, our own motives, our own actions, our own desires, where we really are in this life. What's our, what's our plan? What's our purpose? Why do we exist? And so, Lord, thank you that you've come to teach us all these things, to divide those who belong to you from those who don't. But we thank you, Father, that your heart is gracious and it's tender to all who will call to you. And so I pray this morning, Lord, as many people are literally fleeing their lives even as we speak in other parts of the world, that you would help us to flee to you as we see our own refugee status if we are not true believers in Christ, wandering the earth, trying to find some place to rest, some means to protect us emotionally and mentally, internally where our hearts are at such turmoil. Lord, I pray for the soul that's living like that spiritual refugee, that you will call them unto yourself and help them to see that you are a God of great love and grace and mercy. And no matter what that life has been like, that you are able to redeem it. You're able to to fix it, to to make it all that it could not be on its own. Lord, I pray that for that soul, you will help them even today in the sound of my voice. And at this moment, you would just simply help them to call out to you and say, Father, forgive me. I want Jesus in my life. And Lord, we know that you will do and you will respond. And so we praise you and we thank you. And we ask your blessings on us as a church that you would help us to give, yes, sacrificially, wisely, so that the work of your kingdom can continue on. But at the same time, Lord, may we do all that we know how to do by your power to do your will and nothing less and nothing more. So we pray this all in Jesus' name.
Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your blessings to us, Lord. We just pray for um, those concerns that we've had, Lord, with, uh, with Ukraine, with our brother June, with others who are dealing with health issues, Lord. We just ask your, your hand be upon them. But, Lord, we just thank you for giving us a day where we can come here as your family and, and sing, listen to your word, and praise you. Lord, you are an awesome God. You have done so much for us, Lord. We take so much for granted. We thank you so much, so much for your son, Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. 